shows Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trigg-Hauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. April 12th kicked off the month of Ramadan, an important time of year for Muslims. It's a time for contemplation, prayer, and community. Many people might think of fasting, or saum, when they think of Ramadan. Saum is one of the five pillars of Islam. Another important pillar, though, is zakat, a form of almsgiving, or charity. This pillar generates billions of U.S. dollars in donations per year, although exact numbers are near impossible to pinpoint. At Prio, researcher Kaya Borkevink has studied Islamic finance and Muslims' religious practice, and how this relates to ideas about charity and development. Now, she's leading the project The Power of Ideas, Muslim Humanitarians and the SDGs. This project sets out to understand how Muslim humanitarian actors relate to, interpret, and respond to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. The project looks at intergovernmental Islamic organizations, international Muslim NGOs, and organized Muslim philanthropic initiatives in three country case studies, Indonesia, Nigeria, and Pakistan. To talk about zakat, Ramadan, and how Muslim charity has transnationalized, I'm joined by Kaya and one of her project members, Amelia Fauzia. Amelia is a professor of Islamic history at Siarif Hidayatullah State Islamic University, Jakarta. She's researched extensively on the history of Islamic charity in Indonesia. One note before we get started. Kaya and Amelia have both mainly studied Sunni Islam, and the practice of zakat they'll be talking about is related to Sunni Muslim practice. Amelia has studied Islamic charity among Sunni Muslims in Indonesia, and Kaya among Sunni Muslims in Pakistan and in the Norwegian-Pakistani population. Welcome to the podcast, Amelia and Kaya. Today we're going to take as a starting point Ramadan, uh, which is a really special time for Muslims. And uh, I know that both of you have done a lot of research that is really relevant to this. And so we're going to put that into a little bit of context. But before we begin, Amelia, why is Ramadan such a important part of the year? And why is it such an important holiday? Uh, thanks, Indigo. Uh, thanks for joining me here. Um, for Muslims, Ramadan is a very special month. Uh, we call it the holy month of Ramadan because of uh, during the month, a Muslim will do a fast, fasting uh, the whole month. Uh, means that uh, Muslim refrain from eating and drinking from morning to the evening. Uh, it's every day. And then in the end of the month, uh, Muslim will celebrate Eid um, uh, al-Fitri, uh, a very big festivity for Muslims. So, uh, and during the, uh, the Ramadan, Muslim will do many um, um, rituals and uh, uh, Muslim believes that uh, rituals during Ramadan will uh, uh, better ritual for the whole year. Mm. And Kaya, many Muslims around the world pay zakat at this time of year. And this is something that you have focused on a little bit in, in your research. So can you just give us a definition here? What is zakat and how is it actually used or, or how is it um, made or paid? Yeah, I think um, in Islam, uh, charity is a very important uh, tradition, a very important practice. And it 
takes different shapes uh, and you have um, in uh, Islamic law you divide between the obligatory alms which is zakat and uh, voluntary alms which is commonly called sadaqa but it, you have different ways of giving as well but so zakat is the obligatory alms which is you can look at it as a kind of a tax often referred to as the Muslim tax um, it's basically uh, uh, something that you pay annually as an individual uh, and uh, it is uh, in the hadith the the literature that is the the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad it is uh, estimated that 2.5% of your annual excess wealth so meaning when you have uh, covered your living expenses uh, what is re what remains so it's a it's a it's a 2.5% uh, of on top of that uh, or calculated on the basis of that um, and it is quite common to pay this uh, during the months of Ramadan it doesn't have to uh, you should pay it once once a year, around the same time every year. But when you, like Amelia was saying, in this uh, holy month of Ramadan, um, you gain more rewards from your uh, rituals. And so this is also the case in giving to charity. Uh, so when you give your alms during this month, your uh, religious rewards uh, are higher. So, uh, which is a reason for why many people hate, I think, in this um, period. And Amelia, you uh, work for the Social Trust Fund in Indonesia. Uh, what is it like in Indonesia with zakat? How, how would people normally go about paying it or um, how is it organized there? Um, in Indonesia, uh... People pay zakat in various ways. Um, some uh, give uh, zakat directly to the poor. Some uh, uh, give uh, pay zakat to uh, organization um, like an NGOs, um, non-state organization, and some also uh, give zakat to a state-based organization. So there are so many uh, uh, different type of organization. Um, and I think um, uh, sometimes Muslim also pay uh, um, organize the zakat uh, in a group. So, um, and uh, some of the zakat organization they are uh, doing um, uh, zakat. They organize zakat with a very professional uh, manner. Uh, not only giving such a food, but also in in the form of scholarship, in the form of um, like uh, very uh, uh, programs like advocacy program. Um, uh, so there is a kind of um, um, uh, a change from very traditional way of giving of zakat into modern professional and. Uh, targeting also um, uh, humanitarian um, uh, program. 
And of course, that's also the context of why both of you are talking today, which is uh, that you're both on the PRIO project, The Power of Ideas, Muslim Humanitarians, and the SDGs. So Kaya, you're leading that project, and Amelia, you're one of the project members. And I'd like to then kind of expand a little bit, um, because you have alluded to it just now, Amelia, that there, like, there are so many different ways of actually taking part in this. And Kaya, maybe you can give a little bit of the Norwegian context um, as well, and also outside of Norway. But how does this work with with different uh, networks, transnational ties, and organizations that can then also contribute to sustainable development? Yes, um, that is true. Uh, like like Amelia was saying, we ha- we are kind of seeing now this professionalization. Many people do it every day in like something. Uh, or, or uh, uh, in addition to the kind of annual payment of of, of zakat, um, uh, so this is something that people do um, uh, everywhere, uh, and uh, also among uh, Muslims in Norway uh, that are mainly um, uh, immigrants or children of immigrants. We see that they are keeping these uh, practices uh, and. People give in uh, many different ways, and uh, traditionally, it's been about taking care of your close community. Uh, but, uh, uh, f- for instance, when people migrate, and like in Norwegian Muslims uh, are often immigrants or children of immigrants, uh, the need might not be as big here as it is where they come from uh, originally, or in other parts of the world. So, what we see is that uh, more and more uh, Muslims uh, in Norway and elsewhere in Europe are giving their charity uh, abroad, uh, either sending it through transnational religious organizations that they are part of here or donating to uh, bigger uh, Muslim uh, NGOs that are working in areas where the need is seen as being greater. So now you have you know, all sorts of... Uh, organizations from very kind of small, maybe women-based uh, uh, networks that are mobilizing resources to pay for, for instance, education in the village where they uh, originate from or their parents originate from in, in say, in Pakistan, where I have done most of my research. Uh, but you also have uh, Norwegian Muslims donating to organizations like Islamic Relief or other uh, big uh, uh, NGOs that you can compare to uh, other big international NGOs like Christian Aids, Oxfam and others. So it sounds like there's been kind of a shift from this maybe more personal interaction to, as you say, as you called it, professionalization. Amelia, have you also seen that in, in your work and in the context that you work in? Yes, it's very much. Um, uh, if we see the history of uh, uh, zakat or charitable giving in Indonesia from uh, um, centuries, uh, from let's say 16th centuries uh, to date, and also let's say in uh, in 20th century, um, usually Muslim pay zakat direct, uh, directly with money, you know. Uh, or staple food for Zakat Fitra. But later on, more and more, uh, uh, there are uh, Zakat organizations 
uh, they try to organize uh, zakat collection uh, by uh, banking system. Uh, and not only that, now, uh, especially from the last three years, five years, uh, we have uh, very rampant, a lot of uh, virtual zakat or online zakat uh, system uh, going on in Indonesia, especially uh, from last year um, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, there is an increase uh, of use uh, uh, zakat during um, digital zakat uh, payment, let's say. So it's a transformation not only in terms of the way of uh, uh, giving uh, from direct you know, money, cash to transfer. So not only in the uh, way of giving, but also in the in the way of forms how zakat has been distributed. Uh, let's say uh, if a long time ago people just give zakat uh, uh, in the um, uh, cash, but now um, the zakat money distributed uh, in the form of a scholarship, for example. Um, uh, so many different uh, programs, including uh, sustainable development uh, programs. So we've kind of now covered that Zakat can take so many, so many different forms and the ideas of it have really expanded. And obviously a lot of people are, are paying this and that means that it's, it's a lot of money. Um, so of course this is naturally a really, really interesting topic in terms of charity, but can you just touch a little bit on some of the misconceptions as well around Muslim charity. Um, and for example, the, the stereotypes around financing terrorism, um, legislation post 9-11 and so on. Um, there is uh, quite a big misconception about Islamic charities uh, and some Indonesian um, organization, charitable organization, they quite suffer uh, to this uh, misconception. Um, well, um, indeed, uh, uh, there are some, let's say, some uh, organizations um, do kind of um, illegal activities. But of course, this is, if we make a percentage, this very, very small percentage, uh, and it is abuse. Um, uh, because in Indonesia, let's say, uh, we have about 550 uh, state-based zakat organization. They are really regulated and supervised by the government. And also in addition to that, um, there are about uh, 400 um, uh, modern or professional uh, zakat foundations. Um, and they have uh, very uh, open for their uh, what they uh, collect and they do a very um, open report to uh, to the public. Kaya, do you want to add anything? When we look at the um, amount that Muslims give, um, it's um, impossible to <laughs> to actually know. Uh, but what we do uh, know is that uh, the volume is large. Uh, these are, of course, individual donations, um, and just as any other 
private donation. There is no kind of government oversight to this. But the amount has been estimated as being many times larger than the overseas development assistance funds available. So post 9-11, we've seen that many Muslim charities have gotten negative attention and being accused of being the front shops of terrorist and criminal organizations. Um, and this, um, it is of course true that some organizations have played that role. Like for instance, Al-Qaeda, it's very well known that they use the Islamic charity organizations as front shops. And that kind of Al-Qaeda effect has impacted on thousands and thousands of organizations that have no links to, to terrorism. And now we, over the past almost 20 years, uh, there has been um, uh, regulations put in place to curb uh, this kind of financing. And uh, that is, of course, good that uh, uh, we make sure that funds are not diverted to criminal activities. Um, however, the consequences of this for the sector of, or if you can call it a sector, but Muslim charity organizations overall has been uh, very negative and has impacted on their ability to re receive funding uh, from uh, abroad. Uh, and I think if we look at uh, Islamic charity organizations and NGOs, they have traditionally been you know, community-based uh, and they have grown um, organically, like mm -hmm. other organizations, maybe from being very local neighborhood uh, organizations, community-based organizations, to have transnational links as Muslim have migrated around the world. Uh, so a lot of these organizations are dependent on having funding, perhaps not through the big uh, traditional donors of humanitarian assistance and development aid, but through diaspora communities and other uh, networks of solidarity um, around uh, the world. And if we look at how these Muslim organizations have um, uh, been seen as legitimate, uh, it, they, have, they have gained their legitimacy from uh, following uh, Islamic rules. So they, that has been the most important thing and they are generally based on, on notions of trust between the givers and, uh, and, and uh, um, the organization that is kind of the manager of these, these funds. And these funds are not only money, they are alms. So that gives them kind of a different quality, uh, which makes these organizations not only uh, managers of money, but of, uh, of arms. And it means that it's a different sense of accountability uh, that they carry. And it's accountability to the, to the givers, but they're also accountable to God because they are the managers of, of these individuals' um, donations which is a religious uh, practice, and that they are they, these money are given uh, with the expectation of a religious reward. 
So it makes uh, also the accountability pr practices uh, different than, than uh, what other uh, kind of Western NGOs have had. So it doesn't mean that they don't have accounting practices, and, but it's been a, it's been a different uh, focus. And, and they have been smaller organizations. And now that they have grown, uh, we see that they are professionalizing also in terms of like financial management, transparency, like accounting, best practices and such. And uh, that is, uh, I think, uh, partially a kind of organic growth as organizations develop and become more professional. But it's also in response to these um, demands for greater uh, transparency that are linked to um, governments and donors and such wanting to uh, know uh, that the activities are uh, legal. Very interesting. And there is, I've heard you talk at least about the fact that there is a bit of a stereotype or negative misconception of Muslims only help Muslims. Now, I would like to preface this by saying I don't think that people say Christians only help Christians and, um, and it, it, it's clearly a very problematic stereotype. However, maybe you want to address this a little bit, Kaya, and, and Amelia, if you have anything to add here. Well, I think there are two issues here. One is that traditionally you're supposed to help the one closest to you. And those might be your Muslim neighbors. I mean, um, many Muslims live in Muslim communities. And, and so I think, like, for instance, if you look at Pakistan, um, most Muslims do help Muslims because... Uh, the greater part of the population um, is Muslim. Um, but I think what we see is that uh, there, is no, there is no rule in Islam that Muslims cannot help non-Muslims. And I think that's important to, to highlight. Uh, and I think what we see now is that uh, there is more and more focus on uh, helping uh, people in need uh, uh, without regard to their their religious or other background, like ethnic or, or such. Um, uh, and the other thing is that I think what we see also is that there is this notion of Islamic solidarity or, or solidarity between Muslims. And um, uh, if we look at conflicts around the world, many Muslims are uh, suffering um, uh, from uh, repeated um, emergencies uh, from conflict and war. Uh, so if we look at several of the major conflicts in the world today are all in uh, Muslim societies. Um, and so in a sense, the the giving to Muslims, like helping people in in Syria or or in Afghanistan, you know, it's not necessarily only because they are Muslim, uh, but because the the crisis happen in in areas with Muslim populations. But in addition to that, I think also this Muslim solidarity is important because um, uh, Muslims might be aware of 
things happening around the world within Muslim communities that are not uh, on the agenda uh, in in the Western world. So while now the attention has turned to uh, the situation of Rohingyas um, uh, uh, and uh, that's something that uh, um, many of us have become uh, aware of, that is that has been a situation that many Muslims have been aware of for much longer, and so I think that uh, like looking at what uh, Islamic charity organizations in Norway has focused on, uh, that was an issue that they uh, uh, paid attention to much before it reached the headlines of uh, of Norwegian uh, mass media. So closing off here, Amelia, you alluded to this a little bit in terms of the pandemic, that it has changed the way that people practice zakat. And of course, this is the second Ramadan now that has happened during the coronavirus pandemic. Can you just close us off by telling us a little bit about how these practices have have been forced to change in these times? First, I want to highlight what um, Kaya's... um explaining about the misconception and um, that uh, and we can see during the pandemic um, actually uh, Muslim organization Zakat organization Islamic charity organization they give um, support to uh, hospitals so uh, during the pandemic uh, Islamic charity organization. They uh, provide uh, almost like ninety percent of their uh, zakat collection uh, to support uh, anyone uh, without uh, discrimination, and um, of course, uh, some of the organization because the closest neighbors are Muslim, so they give uh, uh, their assistance to the nearest one. It doesn't mean they um, discriminate uh, non-Muslims. Um, so some organizations, they are quite, um, they're very careful in using uh, zakat and non-zakat money. So if you see uh, Islamic charity organization, they don't only collect zakat, but also many type of um, uh, funds from uh, Sidaka, uh, like Kaya mentioned, voluntary uh, donation and also endowment, uh, wakaf endowment, um, and also humanitarian uh, um, donation. So... Actually, zakat is consists on this quite a small part of percentage uh, collected by um, by Islamic charity organization. Uh, however, it is still very important. So, some organization they use uh, quite a certain regulation for distributing zakat. Uh, they think it is uh, for Muslim, but uh, they use uh, any type of uh, 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 donation they collected 
for um, any other uh, programs without uh, discrimination. And I can see there is a kind of uh, more awareness actually in using the zakat and any charitable money among uh, Islamic charity organization uh, to give uh, for uh, a more universal humanitarian um, um, purposes without discriminating um, only to Muslims. Uh, I think a pandemic has become uh, a tool that uh, Muslim has a kind of um, increase the awareness uh, that actually um, uh, zakat is for um, for anyone any uh, for for the poor um, some organization like uh, Muhammadiyah organization in Malaysia they clearly say it in their regulation that uh, there is no uh, any statement in the Holy Quran in the Quran that zakat is for Muslim. So they said uh, one of the first said that uh, the zakat is for the poor and the needy. There is no statement only Muslims poor and needy. In Indonesia, uh, Islamic charitable organization contribute a lot to give responses to those impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And there is a kind of uh, uh, more awareness in uh, giving toward the public good. Uh, you use the zakat for, um, for, uh, for humanitarian relief. Um, and this is a very good trend uh, in Indonesia. And I think maybe in other uh, part of uh, Muslim world. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit Prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trickhauger. Music by Martin Nunnemull.